CD4 The chief sculptor and maker of mummy cases folded up his measure. You, uh, you done a good job there, Master Dill, he said. Dill nodded. There was no false modesty between craftsmen. The sculptor gave him a nudge. What a team, eh? he said. You pickle them, I crate them. Dill nodded, but rather more slowly. The sculptor looked down at the wax oval in his hands. Can't say I think much of the death mask, mind, he said. Gurn, who was working hard on the corner slab on one of the Queen's late cats, which he had been allowed to do all by himself, looked up in horror. I done it very careful, he said sulkily. That's the uh, whole point, said the sculptor. I know, said Dill sadly. It's the nose, isn't it? Yeah, it was more the chin. And the chin? Yes. Yes. They looked in gloomy silence at the waxen visage of the pharaoh. So did the pharaoh. Nothing wrong with my chin? You could put a beard on it, said Dill eventually. It'd cover a lot, that would. A beard. Yeah, there's still the nose. You could take half an inch off that and do something with the cheekbones. Yeah, yeah. Gurn was horrified. That's the face of our late king you're talking about, he said. You can't do that sort of thing. Anyway, people would notice, he hesitated. Wouldn't they? The two craftsmen eyed one another. Gurn, said Dill patiently, certainly they'll notice, but they won't say anything. They expect us to, um, improve matters. After all, said the chief sculptor cheerfully, you don't think they're going to step up and say, it's all wrong he really had a face like a short-sighted chicken, do you? Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed, I must say. The pharaoh went and sat by the cat. It seemed that people only had respect for the dead when they thought the dead were listening. A spores said the apprentice with some uncertainty. He did look a bit ugly compared to the frescoes. That's the point, isn't it? said Dill meaningfully. Gurn's big, honest, spotty face changed slowly like a cratered landscape with clouds passing across it. It was dawning on him that this came under the heading of Initiation into Ancient Craft Secrets. You mean, even the painters changed the... he began... Dill frowned at him. "'We don't talk about it,' he said. Gurn tried to force his features into an expression of worthy seriousness. "'Oh,' he said. "'Yes, I see, master.' The sculptor clapped him on the back. "'You're a bright lad, Gurn,' he said. "'You catch on. After all, it's bad enough being ugly when you're alive. Think how terrible it'd be to be ugly in the netherworld.' King Tepikaimon the Twenty-Seventh shook his head. We all have to look alike when we're alive, he thought, and now they make sure we're identical when we're dead. What a kingdom. He looked down and saw the soul of the late cat, which was washing itself. When he was alive, he'd hated the things, but just now it seemed positively companionable. He patted it gingerly on its flat head. It purred for a moment and then attempted to strip the flesh from his hand. It was on a definite hiding to nothing there. He was aware with growing horror that the trio was now discussing a pyramid, his pyramid, it was going to be the biggest one ever. It was going to go on a highly fertile piece of sloping ground on a prime site in the necropolis. It was going to make even the biggest existing pyramid look like something a child might construct in a sand tray. It was going to be surrounded by marble gardens and granite obelisks. It was going to be the greatest memorial ever built by a son for his father. The king groaned. Pataclusp groaned. It had been better in his father's day. You just needed a bloody great heap of log rollers and twenty years, which was useful because it kept everyone out of trouble during inundation, when all the fields were flooded. Now you just needed a bright lad with a piece of chalk and the right incantations. Mind you, it was impressive, if you liked that kind of thing. Pataclusp 2B walked around the great stone block, tidying an equation here, highlighting a hermetic inscription there. He glanced up and gave his father a brief nod. Pataclusp hurried back to the king, who was standing with his retinue on the cliff overlooking the quarry, the sun gleaming off the mask. A royal visit on top of everything else. 
"'We're ready, if it please you, uh, O Ark of the Sky,' he said, breaking into a sweat, hoping against hope that... "'Oh, gods, the king was going to put him at his ease again.' He looked imploringly at the high priest, who with the merest twitch of his features indicated that there was nothing he proposed to do about it. This was too much. He wasn't the only one to object to this. Dill, the master embalmer, had been subjected to half an hour of having to talk about his family only yesterday. It was wrong. People expected the king to stay in the palace. It was too... The king ambled towards him in a nonchalant way designed to make the master builder feel he was among friends. Oh, no, Pataclusp thought. He's going to remember my name. I must say you've done a tremendous amount in nine weeks. It's a very good start. Um, it's Pataclusp, isn't it? said the king. Pataclusp swallowed. There was no help for it now. Yes, oh, hand upon the waters, he said. Oh, fount of... I think, your majesty... "'Or sire will do,' said Tepic. "'Pataclus panicked and glanced fearfully at Dios, who winced but nodded again. "'The king wishes you to address him.' "'A look of pain crossed his face. "'Informally, in the fashion of the barbar... of foreign lands. "'You must consider yourself a very fortunate man "'to have such talented and hard-working sons.' said Tepic, staring down at the busy panorama of the quarry. "'I uh, will, uh, oh, uh, sire,' mumbled Pataclusp, interpreting this as an order. "'Why couldn't kings order people around like in the old days? You knew where you were, then. They didn't go around being charming and treating you as some sort of equal, as if you could make the sun rise, too.' "'It must be a fascinating trade,' Tepic went on. "'As your sire wishes, uh, sire,' said Pataclusp. "'If your majesty would just give the word. "'And how exactly does all this work?' "'Your uh, sire?' said Pataclusp, horrified. "'You make the blocks fly, do you?' Uh, "'Yes, O oh sire. That is very interesting. How do you do it?' Pataclusp nearly bit through his lip. "'Betray craft secrets?' He was horrified. Against all expectation, Dios came to his aid. "'By means of certain secret signs and sigils, sire,' he said, "'into the origin of which it is not wise to inquire. "'It is the wisdom of,' he paused, "'the moderns. "'So much quicker than all that heaving stuff around, I expect,' said Tepic. "'It had a certain glory, sire,' said Dios. "'Now, if I may suggest.' "'Oh, yes. Press on by all means.' Pataclusp wiped his forehead and ran to the edge of the quarry. He waved a cloth. "'All things are defined by names. Change the name and you change the thing. Of course there is a lot more to it than that, but paracosmically that is what it boils down to.' Pataclusp 2B tapped the stone lightly with his staff. The air above it wavered in the heat, and then, shedding a little dust, the block rose gently until it bobbed a few feet off the ground, held in check by mooring ropes. That was all there was to it. Tepic had expected some thunder, or at least a gout of flame, but already the workers were clustering around another block, and a couple of men were towing the first block down towards the site. "'Very impressive,' he said sadly. "'Indeed, sire!' said Dios, and now we must go back to the palace. It will soon be time for the ceremony of the third hour. Yes, yes, all right, snapped Tepic. Very well done, Pataclusp. Keep up the good work. Pataclusp bowed like a seesaw in flustered excitement and confusion. Very good, your sire, he said, and decided to go for the big one. May I show your sire the latest plans? The king has approved the plans already said Dios, and excuse me if I am mistaken, but it seems that the pyramid is well under construction. Yes, yes, but, uh, said Pataclusp, it occurred to us, this avenue here, you see, overlooking the entrance, what a place, we thought, for a statue of, for instance, Hat, the vulture-headed god of unexpected guests, at practically cost. Dios glanced at the sketches. "'Are those supposed to be wings?' 
he said. Not even cost, not even cost. Tell you what I'll do, said Padaclas desperately. Is that a nose? said Dios. More a beak, more a beak, said Padaclasp. Look, O oh priest, uh, how about... I think not, said Dios. No, I really think not. He scanned the quarry for Tepic, groaned, thrust the sketches into the builder's hands and started to run. Tepic had strolled down the path to the waiting chariots, looking wistfully at the bustle around him, and paused to watch a group of workers who were dressing a corner piece. They froze when they felt his gaze on them, and stood sheepishly watching him. "'Well, well,' said Tepic, inspecting the stone, although all he knew about stonemasonry could have been chiselled on a sand grain. "'What a splendid piece of rock!' He turned to the nearest man, whose mouth fell open. "'You're a stonemason, are you?' he said. "'That must be a very interesting job.' The man's eyes bulged. He dropped his chisel. "'Um,' he said. A hundred yards away, Dios's robes flapped around his legs as he pounded down the path. He grasped the hem and galloped along, sandals flapping. "'What's your name?' said Tepic. "'Ugh,' said the man, terrified. "'Well, jolly good,' said Tepic, and took his unresisting hand and shook it. "'Sire!' Dios bellowed. "'No!' And the mason spun away, holding his right hand by the wrist, fighting it, screaming. Tepic gripped the arms of the throne and glared at the high priest. "'But it's a gesture of fellowship, nothing more. Where I come from, where you come from, sire, is here!' thundered Dios. "'But good grief! Cutting it off! It's too cruel!' Dios stepped forward. Now his voice was back to its normal, oil-smooth tones. "'Cruel, sire, but it will be done with precision and care, with drugs to take away the pain. He will certainly live.' "'But why?' "'I did explain, sir. He cannot use the hand again without defiling it. He is a devout man and knows this very well. You see, sire, you are a god, sire.' "'But you can touch me. So can the servants.' "'I am a priest, sire,' said Dios gently, "'and the servants have special dispensation.' Tepic bit his lip. "'This is barbaric,' he said. Dios's features did not move. "'It will not be done,' Tepic said. "'I am the king. I forbid it to be done. Do you understand?' Dios bowed. Tepic recognised number forty-nine, horrified disdain. Your wish will certainly be done, O fountain of all wisdom, although, of course, the man himself may take matters into, if you will excuse me, his own hands. What do you mean? snapped Tepic. Sire, if his colleagues had not stopped him, he would have done it himself with a chisel, I understand. Tepic stared at him and thought, I am a stranger in a familiar land. I see, he said eventually. He thought a little further. Then the operation is to be done with all care, and the man is to be given a pension afterwards, do you see? As you wish, sire. A proper one, too. Indeed, sire. A golden handshake, sire, said Dios impassively. And perhaps we can find him some light job around the palace. As a one-handed stonemason, sire? Dios's left eyebrow arched a fraction. "'As whatever, Dios.' "'Certainly, sire, as you wish. "'I will undertake to see if we are currently short-handed in any department.' Tepic glared at him. "'I am the king, you know,' he said sharply. "'The fact attends me with every waking hour, sire.' "'Dios,' said Tepic, as the high priest was leaving, "'sire.' "'I ordered a feather bed from Ankh Morpork some weeks ago. "'I suppose you would not know what became of it.' "'Dios waved his hands in an expressive gesture. "'I gather, sire, there is considerable pirate activity off the Carlian coast,' he said. "'Doubtless the pirates are also responsible for the non-appearance of the expert "'from the Guild of Plumbers and Dunnikin Divers,' Tepic said, sourly. "'Dunnikin Diver, a builder and cleaner of cesspits.' 
a particularly busy profession in Ankh-Morpork, where the water table is generally at ground level and one which attracts considerable respect. At least, everyone passes by on the other side of the street when a Dunnikin diver walks by. Yes, sire. Or possibly bandits, sire. Or perhaps a giant two-headed bird swoops down and carried him off, said Tepic. All things are possible, sire, said the high priest, his face radiating politeness. You may go, Dios. Sire, may I remind you, sire, that the emissaries from Tussort and Ephib will be attending you at the fifth hour. Yes, you may go. Tepic was left alone, or at least as alone as he ever was, which meant that he was all by himself, except for two fan-wavers, a butler, two enormous Hawanda guards by the door, and a couple of handmaidens. Oh, yes, handmaidens. He hadn't quite come to terms with the handmaidens yet. Presumably Dios chose them, as he seemed to oversee everything in the palace, and he had shown surprisingly good taste in the matter of, for example, olive skins, bosoms and legs. The clothing these two wore would between them have covered a small saucer, and this was odd because the net effect was to turn them into two attractive and mobile pieces of furniture, as sexless as pillars. Tepic sighed with the recollection of women in Ark Moorpork who could be clothed from neck to ankle in brocade and still cause a classroom full of boys to blush to the roots of their hair. He reached down for the fruit bowl. One of the girls immediately grasped his hand, moved it gently aside, and took a grape. Please don't peel it, said Tepic. The peel's the best part, full of nourishing vitamins and minerals. Only I don't suppose you've heard about them, have you? They've only been invented recently he added, mainly to himself. I mean within the last seven thousand years, he finished sourly. So much for time flowing past, he thought glumly. It might do that everywhere else, but not here. Here it just piles up like snow. It's as though the pyramids slow us down, like those things they used on the boat. What do you call them? Sea anchors. Tomorrow here is just like yesterday, warmed over. She peeled the grape anyway, while the snowflake seconds drifted down. At the sight of the Great Pyramid, the huge blocks of stone floated into place like an explosion in reverse. They were flowing between the quarry and the site, drifting silently across the landscape above deep, rectangular shadows. "'I've got to hand it to you,' said Pataclusp to his son as they stood side by side in the observation tower. "'It's astonishing. One day people will wonder how we did it.' "'All oh, that uh, business with the log rollers and the whips is old hat,' said Tooby. You, "'You can throw them away.' The young architect smiled, but there was a manic hint to the rictus. It was astonishing. It was more astonishing than it ought to be. He kept getting the feeling that the pyramid was... He shook himself mentally. He should be ashamed of that sort of thinking. You could get superstitious if you weren't careful in this job. It was natural for things to form a pyramid. Well, a cone, anyway.' He'd experimented this morning. Grain, salt, sand. Not water, though. That had been a mistake. But a pyramid was only a neat cone, wasn't it? A cone which had decided to be a bit tidier. Perhaps he'd overdone it just a gnat on the paracosmic measurements. His father slapped him on the back. Very well done, he repeated. You know, it almost looks as though it's building itself. 2B yelped and bit his wrist a childish trait that he always resorted to when he was nervous. Pataclusp didn't notice because at that moment one of the foremen was running to the foot of the tower, waving his ceremonial measuring rod. Pataclusp leaned over. What? he demanded. I said, please to come at once, O oh master. On the pyramid itself, on the working surface about halfway up, where some of the detailed work on the inner chambers was in progress, the word impressive was no longer appropriate. The word Terrifying seemed to fit the bill. Blocks were stacking up in the sky overhead in a giant, slow dance, passing and repassing, their mahouts yelling at one another and at the luckless controllers down on the pyramid top who were trying to shout instructions above the noise. Pataclasp waded into the cluster of workers around the centre. Here, at least, there was silence, dead silence. All right, all right, he said. What's going... Oh. Pataclasp 2B peered over his father's shoulder and stuck his wrist in his mouth. The thing was wrinkled. It was ancient. It clearly had once been a living thing. It lay on the slab like a very obscene prune. It was my lunch, 
said the chief plasterer. It was my bloody lunch. I was really looking forward to that apple. But it, it, it can't start yet, whispered Tooby. It can't form temporal nodes yet. I mean, how does it know it's going to be a pyramid? I put my hand down for it, and it felt just like... It, it felt pretty unpleasant, the plasterer complained. And it's a negative node, too, added Tooby. We shouldn't be getting them at all. Is it still there? said Pataclusp, and added, Tell me yes. If more blocks have been set in the position, it won't be, said his son, looking around wildly. As the centre of mass changes, you see, the, the, the nodes will be pulled around. Pataclusp pulled the young man to one side. What are you telling me now? he demanded in a camel whisper. Horse whispers are not suitable for a desert environment. We, we, we ought to put a cap on it, mumbled Tooby. Flare off the trapped time. Uh, uh, wouldn't be any problems then. How can we cap it? It isn't damn well finished, said Pataclusp. What have you been and gone and done? Pyramids don't start accumulating till they're finished. Until they're pyramids, see? Pyramid energy, see? Named after pyramids. That's why it's called pyramid energy. It must be something to do with the, with, the, with the mass or something, the architect hazarded. And the speed of construction. The, the, the time is getting trapped in, in, in the fabric. I mean, in theory, you could get small nodes during construction, but they'd be so weak you wouldn't notice, and if you went and stood in one, maybe you'd become a few hours older or, 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 or younger. He began to gabble. I recall when we did Kenneth the Fourteenth's tomb, the fresco painter said it took him two hours to do the painting in the Queen's room, and we said it was three days and find him, said Pataclusp slowly. There was a lot of guild fuss, I remember. You just said that, said Tooby. Said what? About the fresco painter just a moment ago. No, I didn't. You couldn't have been listening said Pataclasp. Could have sworn you did. Anyway, this is worse than that business, said his son, and it's probably going to happen again. We can expect more, like it. Yes, said Tooby. We shouldn't get negative nodes, but it looks as though we will. We, we can expect fast flows and reverse flows, and, and, and probably even short loops. I'm afraid we can expect all kinds of temporal uh, anomalies. We'd better get the men off. I suppose you couldn't work out a way we could get them to work in fast time and pay them for slow time, said Pataclusp. Oh, it's just a thought. Your brother's bound to suggest it. No, keep everyone off. We'll get the blocks in and cap it first. All right, all right, I was just thinking out loud, as if we didn't have enough problems. Pataclusp waded into the cluster of workers around the centre. Here, at least, there was silence, dead silence. All right, all right, he said. What's got... Oh... Pataclusp 2B peered over his father's shoulder and stuck his wrist in his mouth. The thing was wrinkled. It was ancient. It clearly once had been a living thing. It lay on the slab like a very obscene prune. It was my lunch, said the chief plasterer. It was my bloody lunch. I was really looking forward to that apple. Pataclusp hesitated. This all seemed very familiar. He'd had this feeling before. An overwhelming sensation of rejà vu. Literally, I am going to be here again. He met the horrified gaze of his son. Together, dreading what they might see, they turned around slowly. They saw themselves, standing behind themselves, bickering over something Tooby was swearing that he had already heard. He has to, Pataclusp realised in dread. That's me over there. I look a lot different from the outside. And it's me over here, too, as well. Also, it's a loop, just like in the river, a tiny whirlpool, only it's in the flow of time, and I've just gone round it twice. The other Pataclus looked up at him. There was a long, agonising moment of temporal strain, a noise like a mouse blowing bubblegum, and the loop broke and the figure faded. I, I, I know what's causing it, muttered 2B indistinctly because of his wrist. I know the pyramid isn't complete, but it will be, so the effects are sort of uh, echoing backwards, Dad. Well, we ought to stop right now. It's too big. I, I was wrong. Shut up. Can you work out where the nodes will form, said Pataclusp, and come away over here. All the lads are staring. Pull yourself together, son.
Tooby instinctively put his hand into his belt abacus. Uh, uh, yes, probably, he said. It's just a function of mass distribution and... and, and Right, said the builder firmly. Start doing it, and then get all the foremen to come and see me. There was a glint like mica in Pataclusp's eye. His jaw was squared like a block of granite. Maybe it's the pyramid that's got me thinking like this, he said. I'm thinking fast. I know it. And get your brother up here too, he added. It is the pyramid effect. I'm remembering an idea I'm going to have. Best not to think too hard about that. Be practical. He stared around at the half-completed site. The gods knew we couldn't do it in time, he said. Now we don't have to. We can take as long as we like. Uh, are you all right? said Tooby. Dad, uh, are you all right? Was that one of your time loops? said Pataclusp dreamily. What an idea. No one would ever beat them on a contract ever again. They'd win bonuses for completion and it didn't matter how long it took. No, Dad, we ought to... But you're sure you can work out where these loops will occur, are you? Yes, I expect so, but good. Pataclusp was trembling with excitement. Maybe they'd have to pay the men more, but it would be worth it, and 2A would be bound to think up some sort of scheme. Finance was nearly as good as magic. The lads would have to accept it. After all, they'd complained about working with free men. They'd complained about working with Hawandanians. They'd complained about working with everyone except proper paid-up guild members, so they could hardly complain about working with themselves. 2B stepped back and gripped the abacus for reassurance. Uh, Dad, he said cautiously, uh, what are you thinking about? Pataclus beamed at him. Doppelgangs, he said. Politics was more interesting. Tepic felt that here, at least... He could make a contribution. The Jelly Baby was old. It was respected, but it was also small and in the sword-edged sense, which was what seemed to matter these days, had no power. It wasn't always thus, as Dios told it. Once it had ruled the world by sheer force of nobility, hardly needing the standing army of 25,000 men it had in those high days. Now it wielded a more subtle power as a narrow state between the huge and thrusting empires of Tussort and Ephib, each one both a threat and a shield. For more than a thousand years the kings along the Dijel had, with extreme diplomacy, exquisite manners and the footwork of a centipede on adrenaline, kept the peace along the whole Widdershin side of the continent. Merely having existed for seven thousand years can be a formidable weapon if you use it properly. You mean we're neutral ground, said Tepic. Tsort is a desert culture like us, said Dios, steepling his hands. We have helped to shape it over the years. As for Ephib, he sniffed, they have some very strange beliefs. How do you mean? They believe the world is run by geometry, sire. All lines and angles and numbers, that sort of thing, sire. Dios frowned, can lead to some very unsound ideas. Ah, said Tepic, resolving to learn more about unsound ideas as soon as possible. So we're secretly on the side of Tussort, yes? No, it is important that Ephib remains strong. But we've more in common with Tussort. So we allow them to believe, sire. But they are a desert culture. Dios smiled. I'm afraid they don't take pyramids seriously, sire. Tepic considered all this. So whose side are we really on? Our own, sire. There is always a way. Always remember, sire, that your family was on its third dynasty before our neighbours had worked out, sire, how babies are made. The Tussort delegation did indeed appear to have studied Dejeli culture assiduously, almost frantically. It was also clear that they hadn't begun to understand it. They'd merely borrowed as many bits as seemed useful and then put them together in subtly wrong ways. For example, to a man, they employed the three-turning walk, as portrayed on friezes, and only used by the Dejeli court on certain occasions. Occasional grimaces crossed their faces as their vertebra protested. They were also wearing the cruspids of mourning and the bangles of going forth, as well as the kilt of yet, with, and no wonder even the maidens on fan duty were hiding their smiles, matching greaves. 
Some translation is needed here. If a foreign ambassador to the court of St. James wore, out of a genuine desire to flatter, a bowler hat, a claymore, a Civil War breastplate, Saxon trousers, and a Jacobean haircut, he'd create pretty much the same impression. Even Tepic had to cough hurriedly. But then he thought, they don't know any better, they're like children. And this thought was followed by another one which added, these children could wipe us off the map in one hour. Hot on the synapses of the other two came a third thought, which said, It's only clothes, for goodness sake, you're beginning to take it all seriously. The group from Ephebe were more sensibly dressed in white togas. They had a certain sameness about them, as if somewhere in that country there was a little press that stamped out small bald men with curly white beards. The two parties halted before the throne and bowed. Hello, said Tepic. His Greatness the King Tepikaimon the Twenty-Eighth, Lord of the Heavens, Charioteer of the Wagon of the Sun, Steersman of the Bark of the Sun, Guardian of the Secret Knowledge, Lord of the Horizon, Keeper of the Way, the Flail of Mercy, the High-Born One, the Never-Dying King, bids you welcome and commands you to take wine with him, said Dios, clapping his hands for a butler. Oh, yes, said Tepic. Do sit down, won't you? His greatness, the king, Tepikaimon the twenty-eighth, lord of the heavens, charioteer of the wagon of the sun, steersman of the bark of the sun, guardian of the secret knowledge, lord of the horizon, keeper of the way, the flail of mercy, the high-born one, the never-dying king, commands you to be seated, said Dios. Tepic racked his brains for a suitable speech. He'd heard plenty in Ankh-Morpork. They were probably the same the whole world over. I'm sure we shall get on. His greatness, the King Tepikaimon the Twenty-Eighth, Lord of the Heavens, Charioteer of the Wagon of the Sun, Steersman of the Bark of the Sun, Guardian of the Secret Knowledge, Lord of the Horizon, Keeper of the Way, the Flail of Mercy, the Highborn One, the Never-Dying King, bids you hearken, Dios boomed. The long history of friendship. Hearken to the wisdom of his greatness, the King Tepikaimon the Twenty-Eighth, Lord of the Heavens, Charioteer of the Wagon of the Sun, Steersman of the Bark of the Sun, Guardian of the Secret Knowledge, Lord of the Horizon, Keeper of the Way, the Flail of Mercy, the Highborn One, the Never-Dying King. The echoes died away. Uh, could I have a word with you a moment, Dios? The High Priest leaned down. Is all this necessary? hissed Tepic. Dios's aquiline features took on the wooden expression of one who is wrestling with an unfamiliar concept. Of course, sire, it is traditional, he said at last. I thought I was supposed to talk to these people, you know, about boundaries and trade and so on. I've been doing a lot of thinking about it and I've got several ideas. I mean, it's going to be a little difficult if you're going to keep shouting. Dios gave him a polite smile. Oh, no, sire. That has all been sorted out, sire. I met with them this morning. What am I supposed to do, then? Dios made a slight circling motion with one hand. Just as you wish, sire. It is normal to smile a little and put them at their ease. Is that all? Sire could ask them whether they enjoy being diplomats, sire, said Dios. He met Tepic's glare with eyes as expressionless as mirrors. I am the king, Tepic hissed. Certainly, sire, it would not do to sully the office with mere matters of leaden state, sire. Tomorrow, sire, you will be holding supreme court. A very fit office for a monarch, sire. Ah, uh, yes. It was quite complicated. Tepic listened carefully to the case, which was alleged cattle theft, compounded by Dejeli's onion-layered land laws. This is what it should all be about, he thought. No one else can work out who owns the bloody ox. This is the sort of thing kings have to do. Now, let's see. Five years ago, he sold the ox to him, but as it turned out... He looked from the face of one worried farmer to the other. They were both clutching their ragged straw hats close to their chests, and both of them wore the paralysed wooden expressions of simple men who, in pursuit of their parochial disagreement, now found themselves on a marble floor in a great room with their god enthroned before their very eyes. Tepic didn't doubt that either one would cheerfully give up all rights to the wretched creature in exchange for being ten miles away. 
It's a fairly mature ox, he thought. Time it was slaughtered. Even if it's his, it's been fattening on his neighbour's land all these years. Half of each would be about right. They're really going to remember this judgment. He raised the sickle of justice. His greatness, the king, Tepikaimon, the twenty-eighth lord of the heavens, charioteer of the wagon of the sun, steersman of the bark of the sun, guardian of the secret knowledge, lord of the horizon, keeper of the way, the flail of mercy, the high-born one, the never-dying king, will give judgment. Cower to the justice of his greatness, the king, Tepik... Tepik cut Dios off in mid-intone. Having listened to both sides of the case, he said firmly, the mask giving it a slight boom, and being impressed by the argument and counter-argument, it seems to us only just that the beast in question should be slaughtered without delay and shared with all fairness between both plaintiff and defendant. He sat back. They'll call me Tepic the Wise, he thought. The common people go for this sort of thing. The farmers gave him a long, blank stare. Then, as if they were both mounted on turntables, they turned and looked to where Dios was sitting in his place on the steps in a group of lesser priests. Dios stood up, smoothed his plain robe, and extended the staff. Hearken to the interpreted wisdom of his greatness, the king Tepikaimon the twenty-eighth, lord of the heavens, charioteer of the wagon of the sun, steersman of the bark of the sun, guardian of the secret knowledge, lord of the horizon, keeper of the way, the flail of mercy, the high-born one, the never-dying king, he said. It is our divine judgment that the beast in dispute is the property of Rumusfoot. It is our divine judgment that the beast be sacrificed upon the altar of the concourse of gods in thanks for the attention of our divine self. It is our further judgment that both Rumus Foot and Ketoffel work a further three days in the field of the king in payment for this judgment. Dios raised his head until he was looking along his fearsome nose right into Tepic's mask. He raised both hands. Mighty is the wisdom of his greatness, the King Tepikaimon the twenty-eighth, Lord of the heavens, charioteer of the wagon of the sun, steersman of the bark of the sun, guardian of the secret knowledge, Lord of the horizon, keeper of the way, the flail of mercy, the high-born one, the never-dying king. The farmers bobbed in terrified gratitude and backed out of the presence, framed between the guards. Dios, said Tepic, levelly, sire, just attend upon me a moment, please. Sire, repeated Dios, materialising by the throne. I could not help noticing, Dios, excuse me if I am wrong, a certain flourish in the translation there. The priest looked surprised. Indeed, no, sire. I was most precise in relaying your decision, saving only to refine the detail in accordance with precedent and tradition. Uh, how was that? The damn creature really belonged to both of them. But Rumusfoot is known to be punctilious in his devotion, sire, seeking every opportunity to lord and magnify the gods, whereas Ktoffel has been known to harbour foolish thoughts. "'What's that got to do with justice?' "'Everything, sire,' said Dios smoothly. "'But now neither of them has the ox.' "'Quite so, sire, but Ketoffel does not have it because he does not deserve it, "'while Rumusfoot, by his sacrifice, has ensured himself greater stature in the netherworld.' "'And you'll eat beef tonight, I suppose,' said Tepic. It was like a blow. Tepic might as well have picked up the throne and hit the priest with it. Dios took a step backward, aghast, his two eyes brief pools of pain. When he spoke, there was a raw edge to his voice. I do not eat meat, sire, he said. It dilutes and tarnishes the soul. May I summon the next case, sire? Tepic nodded. Uh, very well. The next case was a dispute over the rent of a hundred square yards of riverside land. Tepic listened carefully. Good growing land was at a premium in Djeli, since the pyramids took up so much of it. It was a serious matter. 
It was especially serious because the land's tenant was by all accounts hard-working and conscientious, while its actual owner was clearly rich and objectionable. Younger assassins, who are usually very poor, have very clear ideas about the morality of wealth until they become older assassins, who are usually very rich, when they begin to take the view that injustice has its good points. Unfortunately, however, one chose to stack the facts. He was also in the right. Tepic thought deeply and then squinted at Dios. The priest nodded at him. It seems to me, said Tepic, as fast as possible, but not fast enough. Hearken to the judgment of his greatness, the king Tepicaimon the twenty-eighth, lord of the heavens, charioteer of the wagon of the sun, steersman of the bark of the sun, guardian of the secret knowledge, lord of the horizon, keeper of the way, the flail of mercy, the high-born one, the never-dying king. It seems to me, to us, Tepic repeated, that taking all matters in consideration beyond those of mere mortal artifice, the true and just outcome in this matter, he paused. This, he thought, isn't how a god-king speaks. The landlord has been weighed in the balance and found wanting, he boomed through the mask's mouth-slit. We find for the tenant. As one man, the court turned to Dios, who held a whispered consultation with the other priests, and then stood up. Hear now the interpreted word of his greatness, the King Tepicaimon the Twenty-Eighth, Lord of the Heavens, Charioteer of the Wagon of the Sun, Steersman of the Bark of the Sun, Guardian of the Secret Knowledge, Lord of the Horizon, Keeper of the Way, the Flail of Mercy, the High-Born One, the Never-Dying King. Patorn the farmer will at once pay eighteen toons in back rent to Prince Imtebos. Prince Imtebos will at once pay twelve tunes into the temple offerings of the gods of the river. Long live the king! Bring on the next case! Tepic beckoned to Dios again. Uh, is there any point in me being here? he demanded in an overheated whisper. Please be calm, sire. If you were not here, how would the people know that justice had been done? But you twist everything I say. No, sire. Sire, you give the judgment of the man. I interpret the judgment of the king. I see, said Tepic grimly. Well, from now on... There was a commotion outside the hall. Clearly there was a prisoner outside who was less than confident in the king's justice, and the king didn't blame him. He wasn't at all happy about it either. It turned out to be a dark-haired girl, struggling in the arms of two guards and giving them the kind of blows with fist and heel that a man would blush to give. She wasn't wearing the right kind of costume for the job either. It would be barely adequate for lying around peeling grapes in. She saw Tepic and, to his secret delight, flashed him a glance of pure hatred. After an afternoon of being treated like a mentally deficient statue, it was a pleasure to find someone prepared to take an interest in him. He didn't know what she had done, but judging by the thumps she was landing on the guards, it was a pretty good bet that she'd done it to the very limits of her ability. Dios bent down to the level of the mask's ear holes. Her name is Petrachi, he said, a handmaiden of your father. She has refused to take the potion. What potion? said Tepic. It is customary for a dead king to take servants with him into the netherworld, sire. Tepic nodded gloomily. It was a jealously guarded privilege, the only way a penniless servant could ensure immortality. He remembered grandfather's funeral and the discreet clamour of the old man's personal servants. It had made father depressed for days. Yes, but it's not compulsory, he said. Yes, sire, it is not compulsory. Father had plenty of servants. I gather she was his mm, favourite, sire. What exactly has she done wrong, then? Dios sighed, as one might if one were explaining things to an extremely backward child. She has refused to take the potion, sire. Sorry, I thought you said it wasn't compulsory, Dios. Yes, sire. It is not, sire. It is entirely voluntary. It is an act of free will, and she has refused it, sire. Ah, one of those situations, said Tepic. 
To Jelly Baby was built on those sort of situations. Trying to understand them could drive you mad. If one of his ancestors had decreed that night was day, people would go around groping in the light. He leaned forward. Step forward, young lady, he said. She looked at Dios. His greatness, the king, Tepikaimon the twenty-eighth. Do we have to go through all that every time? Yes, sire. Lord of the heavens, charioteer of the wagon of the sun, steersman of the bark of the sun, guardian of the secret knowledge, lord of the horizon, keeper of the way, the flail of mercy, the high-born one, the never-dying king, bids you declare your guilt. The girl shook herself out of the guard's grip and faced Tepic, trembling with terror. "'He told me he didn't want to be buried in a pyramid,' she said. "'He said the idea of those millions of tons of rock on top of him gave him nightmares. "'I don't want to die yet.' "'You refuse to gladly take the poison?' said Dios. "'Yes.' "'But, child,' said Dios, "'then the king will have you put to death anyway. "'Surely it is better to go honourably to a worthy life in the netherworld?' "'I don't want to be a servant in the netherworld.' There was a groan of horror from the assembled priests. Diost nodded. Then the Eater of Souls will take you, he said. Sire, we look to your judgment. Tepic realised he was staring at the girl. There was something hauntingly familiar about her which he couldn't quite put his finger on. Let her go, he said. His greatness, the king Tepikaimon the twenty-eighth, lord of the heavens, charioteer of the wagon of the sun, steersman of the bark of the sun, guardian of the secret knowledge, lord of the horizon, keeper of the way, the flail of mercy, the high-born one, the never-dying king, has spoken. Tomorrow at dawn you will be cast to the crocodiles of the river. Great is the wisdom of the king. Petrachi turned and glared at Tepic. He said nothing. He did not dare for fear of what it might become. She went away quietly, which was worse than sobbing or shouting. "'That is the last case, sire,' said Dios. "'I will retire to my quarters,' said Tepic coldly. "'I have much to think about.' "'Therefore I will have dinner sent in,' said the priest. "'It will be roast chicken.' "'I hate chicken,' Dios smiled. "'No, sire. On Wednesdays the king always enjoys chicken, sire.' The pyramids flared. The light they cast on the landscape was curiously subdued, grainy, almost grey, but over the capstone of each tomb a zigzag flame crackled towards the sky. A faint clink of metal and stone sprang Petrachi from a fitful doze into extreme wakefulness. She stood up very carefully and crept towards the window. Unlike proper cell windows, which should be large and airy and requiring only the removal of a few inconvenient iron bars to ensure the escape of any captives, this window was a slit six inches wide. Seven thousand years had taught the kings along the Dajel that cells should be designed to keep prisoners in. The only way they could get out through this slit was in bits. But there was a shadow against the pyramid light and a voice said, Psst! She flattened herself against the wall and tried to reach up to the slit. Who are you? I'm here to help you. Oh, damn! Do they call this a window? Look! I'm lowering a rope. A thick silken cord, knotted at intervals, dropped past her shoulder. She stared at it for a second or two and then kicked off her curly-toed shoes and climbed up it. The face on the other side of the slit was half concealed by a black hood, but she could just make out a worried expression. Don't despair, it said. I wasn't despairing. I was trying to get some sleep. Oh, pardon me, I'm sure. I'll just go away and leave you, shall I? But in the morning I shall wake up, and then I'll despair. What are you standing on, demon? Do you know what a crampon is? No. Well, it's two of them. They stared at each other in silence. Okay, said the face at last. I'll have to go around and come in through the door. Don't go away. And with that it vanished upwards. Petrachi let herself slide back down to the chilly stones of the floor. Come in through the door. She wondered how it could manage that. Humans would need to open it first. 
She crouched in the furthest corner of the cell, staring at the small rectangle of wood. Long minutes went past. At one point she thought she heard a tiny noise, like a gasp. A little later there was a subtle clink of metal, so slight as to be almost beyond the range of hearing. More time wound on to the spool of eternity, and then the silence beyond the cell, which had been the silence caused by absence of sound, very slowly became the silence caused by someone making no noise. She thought, it's right outside the door. There was a pause in which Tepic oiled all the bolts and hinges so that when he made the final assault the door swished open in a heart-gripping noiselessness. I say, said a voice in the darkness. Petracci pressed herself still further into the corner. Look, I've come to rescue you. Now she could make out a blacker shadow in the flare light. It stepped forward with rather more uncertainty than she would have expected from a demon. Are you coming or not? it said. I've only knocked out the guards. It's not their fault, but we haven't got a lot of time. I'm to be thrown to the crocodiles in the morning, whispered Petracci. The king himself decreed it. He probably made a mistake. Petracci's eyes widened in horrified disbelief. The soul eater will take me, she said. Do you want it to? Petracci hesitated. Well then, said the figure, and took her unresisting hand. He led her out of the cell, where she nearly tripped over the prone body of a guard. Who is in the other cells? he said, pointing to the line of doors along the passage. I don't know, said Petracci. Let's find out, shall we? The figure touched a can to the bolts and hinges of the next door and pushed it open. The flare from the narrow window illuminated a middle-aged man seated cross-legged on the floor. I'm here to rescue you, said the demon. The man peered up at him. Rescue? he said. Yes. Why are you here? The man hung his head. I spoke blasphemy against the king. How did you do that? I dropped a rock on my foot. Now my tongue is to be torn out. The dark figure nodded sympathetically. A priest heard you, did he? he said. No, I told a priest. Such words should not go unpunished, said the man virtuously. We're really good at it, Tepic thought. Mere animals couldn't possibly manage to act like this. You need to be a human being to be really stupid. I think we ought to talk about this outside, he said. Why not come with me? The man pulled back and glared at him. You want me to run away, he said. Seems a good idea, wouldn't you say? The man stared into his eyes, his lips moving silently. Then he appeared to reach a decision. Guards! he screamed. The shout echoed through the sleeping palace. His would-be rescuer stared at him in disbelief. Mad! Tepic said. You're all mad! He stepped out of the room, grabbed Petracci's hand, and hurried along the shadowy passages. Behind them, the prisoner made the most of his tongue while he still had it, and used it to scream a stream of imprecations. Where are you taking me? said Petracci, as they marched smartly around a corner and into a pillar-barred courtyard. Tepic hesitated. He hadn't thought much beyond this point. Why do they bother to bolt the doors, he demanded, eyeing the pillars. That's what I want to know. I'm surprised you didn't wander back to your cell while I was in there. I... I don't want to die, she said quietly. Don't blame you. You mustn't say that. It's wrong not to want to die. Tepic glanced up at the roof around the courtyard and unslung his grapnel. I think I ought to go back to my cell, said Petracci, without actually making any move in that direction. It's wrong even to think of disobeying the king. Oh, what happens to you then? Something bad, she said vaguely. You mean worse than being thrown to the crocodiles or having your soul taken by the soul-eater, said Tepic, and caught the grapnel firmly on some hidden ledge on the flat roof. That's an interesting point, said Petracci, winning the Tepic Award for clear thinking. Worth considering, isn't it? Tepic tested his weight on the cord. What you're saying is, if the worst is going to happen to you anyway, you might as well not bother any more, said Petracci. If the soul-eater is going to get you whatever you do, you might as well avoid the crocodiles. Is that it? You go up first, said Tepic. I think someone's coming. Who are you? Tepic fished in his pouch. 
He'd come back to Djeli an eon ago with just the clothes he stood up in, but they were the clothes he'd stood up in throughout his exam. He balanced a number two throwing knife in his hand, the steel glinting in the flare light. It was possibly the only steel in the country. It wasn't that Djeli Baby hadn't heard about iron, it was just that if copper was good enough for your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, it was good enough for you. Nah, the guards didn't deserve knives. They hadn't done anything wrong. His hand closed over the little mesh bag of caltraps. These were a small model, a mere one inch per spike. Caltraps didn't kill anyone, they just slowed them down a bit. One or two of them in the sole of the foot induced extreme slowness and caution in all except the terminally enthusiastic. He scattered a few across the mouth of the passage and ran back to the rope, hauling himself up in a few quick swings. He reached the roof just as the leading guards ran under the lintel. He waited until he heard the first curse, and then coiled up the rope and hurried up after the girl. "'They'll catch us,' she said. "'I don't think so.' "'And then the king will have us thrown to the crocodiles.' "'Oh, no, I don't think—' Tepic paused. It was an intriguing idea. "'He might,' he ventured. "'It's very hard to be sure about anything. "'So what shall we do now?' Tepic stared across the river where the pyramids were ablaze. The Great Pyramid was still under construction by flare-light. A swarm of blocks, dwarfed by distance, hovered near its tip. The amount of labour Pataclus was putting on the job was amazing. What a flare that will give, he thought. It'll be seen all the way to Ankh. Horrible things, aren't they? said Petracci behind him. Do you think so? They're creepy. The old king hated them, you know. He said they nailed the kingdom to the past. Did he say why? No. He just hated them. He was a nice old boy, very kind. Not like this new one. She blew her nose and replaced her handkerchief in its scarcely adequate space in her sequined bra. Er, uh, what exactly did you have to do? Uh, uh, as a handmaiden, I mean, said Tepic, scanning the rooftop panorama to hide his embarrassment. She giggled. You're not from round here, are you? No, not really. Talk to him, mainly, or just listen. He could really talk, but he always said no one ever really listened to what he said. Yes, said Tepic, with feeling. And that was all, was it? She stared at him and then giggled again. Oh, that, no, he was very kind. I wouldn't have minded, you understand, I had all the proper training. Mm, bit of a disappointment, really. Women of my family have served under the kings for centuries, you know. Oh, yes, he managed. I don't know whether you've seen a book. It's called The Shattered Pal Palace, said Tepic, automatically. I thought a gentleman like you'd know about it, said Petracci, nudging him. It's a sort of textbook. Well, my great-great-grandmother posed for a lot of the pictures. Not recently, she added, in case he hadn't fully understood. I mean, that would be a bit off-putting. She's been dead for twenty-five years. When she was younger. I look a lot like her. Everyone says. Oh, agreed Tepic. She was famous. She could put her feet behind her head, you know. So can I. I've got my grade three. Um? The king told me once that the gods gave people a sense of humour to make up for giving them sex. I think he was a bit upset at the time. Oh, only the whites of Tepic's eyes were showing. You don't say much, do you? The breeze of the night was blowing her perfume towards him. Petracci used scent, like a battering ram. "'We've got to find somewhere to hide you,' he said, concentrating on each word. "'Haven't you got any parents or anything?' He tried to ignore the fact that in the shadowless flare light she appeared to glow and didn't have much success. "'Well, my mother still works in the palace somewhere,' said Petracci. "'But I don't think she'd be very sympathetic.' "'We've got to get you away from here.' said Tepic fervently. If you can hide somewhere today, I can steal some horses or a boat or something. Then you could go to Tassort or Ephib or somewhere. Foreign, you mean? I don't think I'd like that, said Petracci. Compared to the netherworld? Well, put like that, of course. She took his arm. Why did you rescue me? Um, because being alive is better than being dead, I think. I've read up to number 46. "'Congress of the Five Auspicious Ants,' said Petracci. "'If you've got some yoghurt, we could—' "'No, 
I, I mean, I mean, no, not, not here, not now. There must be people looking for us. It's nearly dawn. There's no need to yelp like that. I was just trying to be kind. Yes, uh, good. Uh, uh, thank you. Tepic broke away and peered desperately over a parapet into one of the palace's numerous light wells. This leads to the embalmer's workshops, he said. There must be plenty of places to hide down here. He unwound the cord again. Various rooms led off the well. Tepic found one lined with benches and floored with wood shavings. A doorway led through to another room stacked with mummy cases, each one surmounted by the same golden dolly face he'd come to know and loathe. He tapped on a few and raised the lid of the nearest. No one at home, he said. You can have a nice rest in here. I can leave the lid open a bit so you can get some air. You can't think I'd risk that. Supposing you didn't come back? I'll be back tonight, said Tepic, and I'll see if I can drop some food and water in sometime today. She stood on tiptoe, her ankle bangles jingling all the way down Tepic's libido. He glanced down involuntarily and saw that every toenail was painted. He remembered Cheese Wright telling them behind the stables one lunch hour that girls who painted their toenails were... Well, he couldn't quite remember now, but it had seemed pretty unbelievable at the time. It looks very hard, she said. What? If I've got to lie in it, I'll need some cushions. I'll put some wood shavings in. Look, said Tepic, but hurry up. Please. All right, but you will be back, won't you? Promise. Yes, yes, I promise. He wedged a splinter of wood on the case to allow an air hole, heaved the lid back on, and ran for it. The ghost of the king watched him go. End of CD 4